Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis 37. You can use your phone if you'd like. Genesis is the first book in the Bible, and then go to chapter 37. And I'm going to begin our time with an opening thought. It's the machete story. The machete. You know what a machete is? Here's a picture. It's a machete, right? Big, long knife thing. When I was about three years old, my family and I, were, we were camping, and my father apparently didn't want me to play with the machete. What's up with that? And so he took it and he punched it into a tree high enough, he thought, that I couldn't get it, right? He was safety first. Probably not that much in my house, but he stuck it up in there. And so as a three-ish year old, I couldn't reach it, but I figured out that if I kind of ran up the trunk of the tree, I could jump and I, could, I couldn't grab it, but I could, you know, touch it. And so, so this is a great story. I'm sure you're, blood's coming eventually in the story, just so you know, it's going to be great. So I don't know how many times it took me, but I would go up and I would just touch it and it would go, Come on, man. So I would go up again. Well, at some point, came down, totally severed my ear. No, it didn't. (laughs) But it did cut. It cut my ear. And, of course, then, did you know if you cut your ear, they can bleed a lot? And I didn't. Yes. So anyway, cut my ear. And so I do have some vivid memories. I have memories of trying to do that thing. And then I remember laying in the camper with, uh, you know, lots of towels, like, on my head and mom taking care of me, and that's done. All right. So two thoughts from that. They were basically lessons that I learned on that day. Uh, First one, ears bleed a lot. Second one, if you can't reach a sharp object, probably shouldn't jump at it. Right? Just little tiny things. And I tell that story to bring up the idea of what I could, we could call youthful mistakes. And I've just defined this. Youthful mistakes. These are the foolish things we did back then that we learn from now. Youthful mistakes. I'm guessing we have all made them. They're like life lessons. Another one of the young ones I remember was, I don't know, I was six or seven, and I was visiting my grandparents, and and one of the neighbor kids, we were playing tag, and he was just super fast, and so the the sun was going down, it was pretty dark, and he was behind me, and I still remember, like, no, run, I was full out, full speed, and then I met the picnic table right here at my waist. And so my top half just went, whoop-bam, you know. And, and that, that'll kind of ruin your baby teeth at that point. And I remember I, it was, there was a life lesson in there. If you're sprinting full speed, face forward. Like, it's better. Uh, these all don't have to do, of course, with when you're really young. Most of us can probably think of a financial life lesson we made at some point that you would just not do. Again, it was that one purchase or the one thing, and you're like, that was really bad. And then we adjust, and we learn. Or a relational thing that 
at the time you thought you were making a good decision, but afterwards, like, it just broke your heart. It was one of, you know, in a long season of sadness or whatever. So these are what we could call youthful mistakes. I think the Bible recognizes uh, an idea of youthful mistakes in Proverbs 7, 6. There's a, the writer describes, by the way, in uh, Proverbs, much of the Proverbs are written by a man named Solomon who was super wise. And he describes, at the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice, I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men a youth who had no sense. And this young person was going to make some really bad decisions. You can read the chapter. Basically, he uh, gets tempted to go to the wrong side of town, tempted by a prostitute, ends up in a big old mess. But I think God just, and it was interesting to me that it says a youth who had no sense. (laughs) Side note, you can be old and still not have sense. But that's not what we're talking about right now. Uh, 1 Corinthians says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. Some of us that are trying to follow God, this will make it. I, I can't address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still, world, still worldly. And then he calls this group of people mere infants. It's like you're still doing the youth. You're just too young, acting too young. By the way, there's a difference between childlike and childish. Childish is something we should grow out of. Childlike, spiritually, can be a good thing with the Lord. All right. One more. A challenge from 1 Peter. Rid yourself of malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, a list of things, so that by it you may grow up. That's the vision. You might grow up in your salvation. So hold those thoughts. For the rest of the summer, we are going to be in a series called Joseph Facing the Twists and Turns of Life. And uh, we'll learn from the life of Joseph just a side of uh, what's going on in the Bible. Actually, in many sections of the Bible, you could describe them as God is telling the story of a people or a person that he is calling them to be one of his people, okay? So those of us that are new at the Bible, a lot of the Bible is these extended stories of God reaching out to individual or groups of people and say, I want you to be mine. I want you to be marked by the things that I care about. I want, does that make sense? Like, and so in the stories, one of the ways that he lets us know what that looks like is he'll tell life stories of individuals like Moses, you may have heard of Moses or Abraham or Isaac, some of those Bible characters, and there'll be like chapters of their story. So in Genesis 37, it's the beginning of the life story of a man named Joseph. Um, Over the next few weeks, we're going to see ups and downs, some amazing things that Joseph accomplishes, also some horrible stuff he has to go through. Uh, But today we're seeing the beginning of the story. He's fairly young, and we're going to explore a few mistakes that I think he makes here that make him go into a season that's kind of hard. So we'll begin in verse 3. 
Now, Israel, that's Joseph's dad, also called Jacob. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. Uh, heard of the Broadway thing, Joseph and the Technicolor? Is that what it is? Dreamcoat thing? Some of you might not. That, this, that's a Bible thing. That's this Joseph. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. A few more verses. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. By the way, Joseph had 11 brothers. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So, title of the talk is Young and a Little Foolish. And again, I want to explore a couple... Uh, by the way, God is in this story. The dream stuff is part of what we're going to see later, but I think there are a few mistakes that Joseph makes that makes life a little harder here. And uh, I think they're good lessons that we could learn. So they're like what youthful mistakes. So um, would you stand as we, as we pray for the rest of the talk? Because we're also going to pray not just about today, but we're going to pray about the series. So, Father, I pray... that you would take us on a journey as we explore Joseph's journey. Will you take us on a journey over the next several weeks? How about growing us up, Lord? How about making us a deeper part of your story? Inviting us to be uh, people devoted to you. And I pray that this talk would help us Maybe we could learn from some of these lessons so that we won't make it more difficult than we have to. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for standing. Thanks for praying. Two things we're going to talk about today. The first mistake I see from Joseph is this. He made the youthful mistake of what we're going to call oversharing. Oversharing. I would submit to you he shared a little too much about the dreams. In verse 6, when he says, he said, it says to, he said to them, listen, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field. Stop. 
I think he's okay there. Right? He could have told his brothers about this dream. But I think it's when he, go, he starts sharing more detail than he maybe should have shared. And then he goes, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. I, in my brain, I think, oh, Joseph. Might, maybe shouldn't have shared the second part of the dream. By the way, here's an image that might help us see. All right, there's an image of Jacob or Israel and Joseph. So he's already got the coat thing going. It's all amazing. And, and his brothers don't like him because of that. And then he describes this part of the dream where, hey, yeah, and then all your sheaves are, this is just too much. Should not have shared the last part. And I, I thought Joseph would have been well served by pausing more in his young life and asking a question like this. Here, it'll come up on the screen. Are my next words going to help anyone? And that's just a pretty applicable question. Not for Joseph, but for us. Are my next words going to help anyone? Ephesians 4.29 says, do not let any, boy, that's a, that's a big word. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. So the idea, fill in the blank, is Joseph hadn't yet learned that oversharing creates messes. I think. And by the way, we know this, right? When I was in high school, I was attending a camp, part of the camp. They had a t tennis tournament that you could sign up for, and I played a little bit of tennis, and so I signed up for the tennis tournament. And a guy, I don't remember who he was, but he came up and said, hey, we were talking about the tennis tournament. And he said, so, uh, so who did you draw in the first round of the tennis tournament? And I should have just said, oh, I drew John. But instead, I went on and began to describe John in a really hurtful way. I'm still embarrassed when I share this story. I said, oh, I'm playing John so-and-so, who was an acquaintance of mine, a friend of mine. I said, oh, I'm playing, playing John. And I said something like, oh, you know John. He's a, he's a really kind of skinny, scrawny guy that is really uncoordinated that you see, see. And as I'm saying this mean stuff, I turned to my right, three feet away, was my friend, I still see the pain on his face that I caused because I said some stuff that did not need to be shared. It still hurts me right now. I have like little hurt feelings in my body. You ever have little hurt feelings where you go, ow, that was so bad. Just should have just, and nobody was pushing me to share that stuff. I should have just said, oh, I'm playing John. How about that? Proverbs 18.21 says, the tongue has the power, by the way, this is what God's word says about 
conversation. The tongue has the power of life and death. So here's the challenge before us. How do you use it in such a way so that it brings life and not death? And some of this is managing the over-talking stuff. A side ponder, when I was thinking about this this week, if you've never considered it, probably worth it, consider how awesome it is that Jesus is not an over-talker about us. How do you know he knows stuff about our lives that he doesn't bring up very regularly, and that's really nice of him? Did you not get that? When he could, because he knows every dirty, horrible thing that you guys probably never did anything, but that I have done. And yet, most of the time, the Lord is incredibly strategic in his direction and conversation and his caring. Is he not? Now, every once in a while, he can get pretty edgy, but it's because he loves us. But so much of the time, he doesn't just let it all, everything he could say, he doesn't say it. He's strategic. If you want to grow and be like Christ, impact the world, have a life-giving life to other people, just try to be like Jesus in the way he was with language and conversation and information. So one example of this was in, in Matthew chapter uh, 16. Jesus has asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they say, oh, some say this and some say that. And then Peter, one of the disciples, has this great answer. And he says, you, and he's so right. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then there's kind of this rebound conversation. And Jesus ends up saying kind of back to Peter, because Peter just said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, and you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And I have thought, just so you know, Jesus says some wonderful, encouraging, powerful things right then into Peter's life. But that's not all he knows about Peter. He could have gone on and said, and by the way, you're going to screw up in a couple weeks when you deny me in three times. Does that make sense? But he doesn't. He, he doesn't share other stuff that he knows, and he focuses on what will be life-giving and helpful in the moment. We would do well to be that. Uh, bringing it in the room, here's a question that I think most of us will say yes to. Am I an over-talker? Anybody? Okay, yeah. This is when you don't even raise hands. You just go, everybody? Yeah. Okay. And so rather than just feel a sense of, yeah, that's me, I thought I would give you a couple uh, practical ways. These help me <laughs> not be as much of a talker. So kind of a grid. So here's some hints. If you want to reduce the over-talking, be more of a life-giving person. First one is this, be cautious with opinions. Just be cautious when you start to go, oh, I have an idea, but it's really just an opinion.
In Acts chapter 17, it describes a city that one of the Christians went to to try to make a difference, and the city was a mess. It was full of idolatry. No one was following, virtually no one was following God. And here's part of the description of the town of Athens. It says, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. It feels like that was a place people just yap, yap. Oh, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I read this. Well, I don't know. I saw this. And does that make sense? Does that feel a little bit like our culture is moving that direction or is it just me? Like, we're so free to opinion about this. Wouldn't it be better if we took time to discern not just opinion, but like what God said about something? Like what the, what the Bible says? Uh, probably be better. So be cautious with opinions. Second idea is be gentle in conflict. This will make you, you unique in a world that is not all that gentle when you're in a conflict. By the way, we can measure our words correctly. It doesn't mean that we will never be in friction with other people because there are times that we'll need to say something, but it's how we say it can work to our advantage. Um, how about let's be more gentle? When a disagreement comes, in 2 Timothy 2.22, it says, flee the evil desires of youth. I added that because of just the context of youth, youthful mistakes. Okay. When we're young, when you're seven, and you just go off on a tantrum, it's a, you're seven. When we're... 26, we're not seven anymore. So even if you're in a disagreement, how about we approach it more gently? Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. And it says opponents must be gently instructed. <laughs> That's very different than like loudly coerced yelled at, and whoever gets louder wins. Just so we all know, I think we probably know this, but you know when we start to yell, the other person's not listening anymore. Did we, have you ever thought about that? When someone, if I started to yell at you right now, how many of you, most of, most of us would click into, why are you yelling at me? And we don't, does this, maybe this is not wrong. Is this right? Where as soon as you lose the civilness, the gentleness of it, it, you've lost it. It becomes oftentimes a stupid or foolish argument because it's just two people yelling. There's nobody moving anywhere. But, but to emphasize, if you want to be remarkable, if you want to be unusual in your family, in your neighborhood, in your world, at your workplace, if we could crank up the gentleness, even if we disagree, that may open some doors to people. There's power in gentleness. You want to go on a tangent? A little bit? I don't have a lot of time. I'm going to give you a scripture. Okay, we might miss something later, but I'm going to go with this now. Because I know a lot of you are trying to follow God, and you're trying to say what God wants you to say. It, here's what it says in Hebrews 4, 12. 
It says the word of God is alive and active, and then it describes the word of God as sharper than any double-edged sword. Sharper than any double-edged sword. If you have the word of God, the right thing to say in the right moment that God would say, because it is so sharp, can I tell you, you do not have to stab anyone with it. You don't, it's not, you don't have to pummel them with the right thing. You can say it gently. It's like a surgeon because he has a scalpel. You don't have a surgeon that goes, ah, 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 right? You would think, wait, can we stop? Because this feels like a bad motion down at my chest. That's not the way, sir, because they have a scalpel. And if you have the right thing to say, following the Spirit, you do not have to attack someone. All you got to do is say it. And it'll cut. It'll penetrate. Does that make sense? I don't know if I was supposed to say that or not, but there's two minutes we lost. All right. The last thing, we'll just skip it. it just be, sp- be sparing with all things. That's basically... Don't talk as much as you usually do. Okay, let's get to the second point. Joseph made the youthful mistake of repetition. Repetition. (laughs) He doesn't just make the mistake once with the whole dream thing. He does it twice. Watch this. The first time he shares the dream thing, it doesn't go well. The brothers hate him more. Okay? Verse 9. Then he had another dream. And he... Told it to his brothers. In my mind, I'm like, Joseph, no, this is not going to get better the second time around. And it doesn't. They just hate him even more. So here's where we're heading with this point. Joseph made his bad situation worse by repeating the same mistake twice. That's a youthful thing. He made his bad situation worse by repeating the same mistake twice. And just a little observation, I think this gets made his brothers even more irritated than they already were because in verse 18 of the chapter, this is when the brothers are going to start to get some revenge, and it says they saw him, that's Joseph, in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. And look at what they call him. They say, here comes that dreamer. Not a guy who had a dream once. It's now he has moved from a mistake or a sin, probably just a mistake, to he's, he now they have labeled him dreamer in a negative way. I think this is a good concept for us to consider in our own lives. Here's a question. Am I earning any unwanted titles by repeating a sin? Because that's what happened in Joseph's life. Am I earning any unwanted titles by repeating a sin? That one kind of is ouchy, isn't it? It's one thing to sin or to fall or to do something... But it gets uglier when we begin to repeat it, and it gets uglier for other people. And at some point, we can transition to having a reputation, right? We're no longer a person who got angry on Tuesday. We're just... I have an old word in my mind right now. There are names for people 
like that are just witchy all the time. <laughs> Some of you have as impure of a mind as I do. And God bless those of you who are like, I don't understand. We love you and we're so glad you're part of the church. But right, if you're that way a lot, then you end up with a title and a reputation and all that stuff. Man, and some of you, if you've been around long enough, you've heard some of my stories of, of and I'm, I, they still hurt my heart when I think of back when I was an ang, I wasn't just a dad who got mad a few times. I was like an angry dad. And I've, you've heard the story of where when my kids were little and God kind of entered my car one day and said, you got to stop it because I've not called you to be an angry dad. And he changed my life. But I'm so, does that make sense? Or there's, there's just stuff. Now, so if you have something that comes to your mind regarding this repetition sin, I want to end with a really cool part of Joseph's story that we'll see in the future. If you do the reading plan and you, you'll read about it. Although Joseph mishandles this dream thing here in this first story about him. If you read the story, over time, God, in, he ends up developing into one of the greatest dream interpreters, perhaps, of the whole Bible. Isn't it remarkable? This is one of those things about God is an amazing God because he takes the foolish things that we do early, and if we run to him, he will oftentimes take the things that we messed up early and he will transform us and it will, he will use us. It can be some of the most powerful things that we do. He ends up getting launched from a very difficult situation all the way up into the, one of the highest ranking people in the king's palace because he becomes amazing at the dream stuff. And I'm going to push this just a little bit with us. If you've got some thing in your life that you've been bad at, maybe you're still struggling with, run to God. Stick with him. Stay with him. Take it to him and say, Lord, here I am making lots of mistakes with this. Submit to him. Repent of it. Who knows where God will take you? He is the redeemer of sinful situations and bad stuff. He is a person who can take you where you're at and transform you and use you for amazing things. Wow. I'm so glad I... Okay. If you're not a Christian, a follower of Jesus someone who's decided, I want to be a follower of God, you should become one. Just so you know. Come to, come, to the, come to the church, we'll talk about, you should become one. It is the best decision you can ever make in your life. You can have forgiveness. You can have forgiveness of sin. It can affect, it'll affect all of your eternity in heaven, but also in this life, he will take us on journey and say, I will use you to do important things in this world. You haven't considered that. Come and walk with us and think about following Jesus and being a Christian and being part of God's people. Last fill in the blank is this. God transformed Joseph's early mistakes into a mature skill set. 
So more of this series to come. Why don't you stand? We're going to move into a time of prayer. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.